Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 290 of Cyclocross Radio. On this episode, we are talking to Jesse Anthony, the director of mountain biking and cyclocross for USA Cycling, and we're talking about the process behind the selection of the 2023 U.S. World Championship team. The, the athletes who are selected to represent the U.S. in Hogerheide in a couple of weeks for the World Championships. The, the selection criteria, how it's evaluated, how it is implemented, ha- has, has been a debate that's been going on for years and will continue to go on. But I, th- I think the most important thing here is to at least have Jesse on to discuss why USA Cycling did what they did for this year and, and, and the philosophy behind it and, and what they are looking to achieve. And I think that is a good conversation to have. And I was um, really happy that, that Jesse agreed to do this and, and, and was happy to do it. I think he wants more transparency in the process. And I was uh, happy that Cyclocross Radio was able to uh, make that available to him. So I hope that you get something out of this conversation after that uh zach and i stick around to talk about the european national championship so sort of a two-part uh in one episode here this time around if you look around at the cycling media landscape and i think this plays into the conversation that we have with jesse there's a not a lot of coverage for cyclocross right now i think one of the main cyclocross outlets is is the cyclocross bulletin cxr's bulletin and this is something that i think it's important to continue to grow and i think zach does a great job covering the sport through the bulletin Uh, what we do with the bulletin also allows us to bring in people to the conversation for this cyclocross radio you know we talk about it in here that a lot of the questions we have for jesse came from our slack channel that is for subscribers of the bulletin so if you would like to be a part of that community, what you can do is go to cxhairs.substack.com, sign up for the CXHairs Bulletin. If you become a subscriber, then you get the key to the Slack channel and everything else that we give. We get uh, extra articles uh, that, that come out beyond the free subscription. And it's a great way to continue to support independent cycling media. And as you know what's coming now, that goes hand in hand with what we do at the Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network, which we would also love for you to be a member of to support independent cycling media with shows like the Slow Ride Podcast, Grodio, Nowhere Fast, Criterium Nation, and Cyclocross Radio. If you go to wideanglepodium.com, click on the donate button. You can become a member of the network. You can choose the shows that you wish to support. All right talked long enough let's get to this it's episode 290 of cyclocross radio we got jesse anthony we're talking about the world championship selection and we're doing it right now all right we are back in the media pit we have a special guest with us today the um, I hope I get this right. Cyclocross and mountain bike manager, 
Jesse Anthony. Did I do it right, Jesse? Pretty close. They call me director, but okay. I do manage a lot of stuff. So we'll I, go you know, with that. I had direct, <laughs> I had director on the tip of my tongue, and I was like, oh man, I hope I don't get. Yeah, director, director, cyclocross, also mountain bike. Um, thanks for taking the time to join us, and I just to just to get things rolling. You know, full year of both mountain bike and cyclocross. Can you just sort of give us some of the highlights for you from this from this past year? <clears throat> Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's great to think back on. I can't believe that uh, Fayetteville 2022 was not even actually 12 full months ago, <laughs> 11 and a half at this point. That was probably got to be one of the year highlights. Um, I mean, that event was just incredible. Uh, yeah, you guys were all there. <laughs> Lots of people were there. Um, what a way to kick off the year and to, to end last cross season. Um, and then I got to work with the mountain bike team for the, for the first full season. I did a little bit of work with, uh, the mountain bike crew in 2021. It was really great to join that program full time this year. got to travel around quite a bit. Um, love that sport, love the events and venues that we go to mountain bike world championships in Leger, France were unbelievable. Um, that place was just beautiful and the French crowds were amazing. We saw some awesome racing, obviously, uh, three medals for team USA, which is really cool. Um, Haley Batten XCO, Gwen Gibson in the XCC, and of course the team relay, which, uh, if we're going to talk about highlights, hopefully upcoming is the, uh, the world championship cyclocross team relay, which will be a world championship event. So, um, yeah, or I, I, sorry, I always looking forward. Uh, it's great to reflect on the past. So thanks for bringing that up. No, looking forward is fine. In fact, I'll just since we did, you brought it up, I'll ask how does how does it work for selection for that relay team? Have you already told people who's in it, or or what do you where, when do you make that that call? Yeah, great question. Um, <clears throat> with uh, so I'll just speak to cyclocross coming up. It's very similar to what we do in mountain bike. Um, it has to be riders that were already selected for the event, uh, which makes sense. Uh, um, and then it's just by coaches selection. So, uh, Stephen Hyde, of course, the cyclocross coach with us at USA Cycling and myself, um, will basically look at who we think will be the best for one lap in each category. Uh, we'll put that team together. Um, of course, not all those athletes are forced to do it. This is kind of an invitation for us. I think some people are still trying to figure out if this one very, very hot lap to start the weekend is something for them or not. Um, but, uh, yeah. We'll put that team together. And then, you know, fun thing is always uh, selecting the start order. There's a little bit of strategy behind that. Um, I learned a lot about the doing that from the mountain bike events um, where we actually got second and third at last year and then this year's world championships. So we'd love to keep us on the podium. And of course, we were, um, we had a team in, uh, oh boy, second or third in Fayetteville at the test event. Yeah, it's 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 something fun for us because it's always we love overanalyzing everything. So getting to look at what you know federations start, who, when is always is always fun, and seeing how it sort of shakes out shakes out in the end. Uh, yeah, well, there's actually really fun. I I enjoy that process because you really think you don't know what the other teams are doing, the other countries are doing, and you don't know until the start list is released, which means your team has to be submitted. Um, so. Yeah, it's like you go on the rider's experience and kind of you you really it helps to know their personalities, their tendencies, their experience levels. Um, cuz you have to think someone who's going 5th or 6th like last, if we're behind, what is that rider going to be feeling if they're chasing after someone? If we're ahead, how are they going to be feeling if they're being chased? 
which riders would be best handling that? What position do we think we'll be in after the riders that we set up to go before them? So I could have a whole another long conversation about this, but it's it's really fun to to work through that strategy. Yeah, no, I don't want to take all of our time with that because we have other things to get to. But yeah, so just just to confirm then, so you can't, it's not like in other sports where you can call a timeout, see what the other team's going to do, and then re, reshuffle your <laughs> order. You basically have to give give your order days before, and then it's set. Correct. Come up with our list, and that that's what we go with. All right. So the main reason we wanted to chat as 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 every year, you know, we we have the world's selection for world team, which is uh, going to be in Hogerheide on the first weekend of February coming up here, and it's really an exciting time. I think it's an exciting time for U.S. cyclocross community to see who's going to make the world's team, and then always the discussion that that happens afterwards. So I, I guess just to start, before we get into the nitty gritty of who and why, just um, from years past until now, has there been a change in philosophy on how this team is selected? Yeah, great question. And the answer is absolutely yes. So man, I don't know how far back I want to go in history, but we'll kind of start where I started. Um, I basically inherited the 2019 world's team in bone. So I didn't have anything to do with that selection other than starting the job, uh, executing that selection document, which was already published going on to, to Denmark. And, you know, we had the world championships. Um, after that, I worked with, um, Mark Gullickson, who was my, uh, I was his direct report. He was mine. Can't remember how that works, but he was still the high performance manager for cyclocross. And Scott Schnitzbahn was our uh, VP of athletics at USA Cycling, I worked with them to develop a slightly different criteria than had been um, uh, established in the past. Uh, Bill, I believe we had a, a conversation about that. Um, and I learned a lot through that process. Uh, I learned a lot about what I thought didn't work with it, a couple of things that did work with it. One of the interesting things that I pushed for and that we did publish in that document, so that would have been going into 2020 Worlds, was different standards for men and women. And after having gone through that, uh, through that year, through that selection process, I realized that I believe that was um, a flaw and that wasn't something that we wanted to continue. We want to have uh, equal standards or even standards for, for both men and women categories, things that makes a lot more sense. Um, so moving on from there, uh, <clears throat> Jim Miller came back on board with USA Cycling at the start of 2020. And so we would have been planning for the 2021 World Championships. Uh, of course, COVID hit. But at that time, we were also aligning the philosophy of the cyclocross world championships to uh, yeah, be in line with every other discipline we have. So track, both sprint and endurance, BMX, freestyle and race, mountain bike and road cycling all have a very similar level of standard of like international performance standard and philosophy behind their uh, behind the selection and the, and the team, like the qualifiers to make the team. And cyclocross had just been this like, well, you're not an Olympic sport, so whatever, go do your thing. And it had been over there with a with totally different philosophy behind it. So we wanted to create more consistency in the organization between disciplines. And so in looking at that, we said, let's align the, the criteria around worlds much more. And we modeled a lot after mountain bike because it's a pretty similar sport when you look at road track, et cetera. 
Combike's the closest one to it. And so we brought the the qualification standard internationally closer with with that discipline. That was going into 2021, which was COVID year. <laughs> there were only six riders racing. They all pretty much went to Worlds. Um, we had that same philosophy going into Fayetteville. But of course, because of the world cha- home world championships, we did, wanted to fill the team. We just thought that was the right thing to do for the country to have every spot filled, every U.S. athlete uh, opportunity to race in front of their home country was important. So while we had that philosophy behind that criteria, we also extended it for the specific purpose. So this is really the third year that we've had this level of criteria in alignment with what we started in 2020. But it's really only the first year that it's played out this way. Yeah. So if we go back, you look at Switzerland. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the team that you adopted in Bonza, 25 athletes, go to Dubendorf, you had 25 athletes again. I think that we can kind of just put 2020 aside. That was just six athletes, really hard for people to get there and just a, a struggle. And a, I think a, a um, victory just to have a team there at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then – in 2022, 38 athletes. <laughs> so, right. So, so I mean, th- th- this new philosophy is in place, but I think as far, if you're on the outside looking in, you're not seeing that change because as the numbers I'm reading off, they're all over 20 athletes. Again, we're just discounting 2021. And then we get to 2023 and we have a selection of 16 athletes. So this, this kind of is where we're seeing really the big change since you've become the the director correct yeah and it's and it's yes absolutely uh like i said this is this is the first time it's really playing out that we've since in the again three years we've kind of have it implemented this way the first time it's really playing out the way that um it was uh designed to so i I, just to the common questions that come up usually revolve around resources and money. So, and that's the thing that I think you're hearing, I'm sure about this team selection. Oh, USA cycling, mud fund, whoever doesn't have the money to send a full team. True or untrue? Um, untrue. (laughs) If we wanted to, we could send a full team. Great. That's, that's good to get out there. And, and so it was more, just you were sticking to the selection criteria. For instance, how many people qualified under the criteria? Well, let's just go. You had Pan Am champions in there, right? You have no say for them. Is that correct? Correct. And, and sorry, let me just bring this back one second. We have, I, I, I say, we have the money to send a full team. We would not be able to do anything else for the rest of the season. And Stephen Hyde would not be the cyclocross coach. It would probably take all of our resources to send a full team. So could we? Yes. Okay. So there is some resources consideration. Oh, oh. Of course, there's going to be some resource. You're not going to send everybody over on a private jet either. I mean, there are going to be some resources consideration. Absolutely. Yeah. So and sorry, I I don't mean to. Um, I, I should should clarify that and kind of say that with with a little bit more purpose or um, explanation. Yeah. Like, is is it possible? Right? Can we fill every spot and and make it work? Yes, like there's a way to make it happen. We might have the resources, but yes. Yeah, so a lot of this conversation, I think we'll get in this a little later, is is about resource allocation. Uh, is kind yeah. of how I yeah, it, and I definitely sure. yeah. So then, do these do all the athletes who are going have a full ride then for this year? 
You know, that's something that we've, I really want to work toward. Um, in the selection document, we do state that there's a $750, uh, I think we call it a team service fee in order to um, compete at the world championships this year. One thing that we've been working on with bringing these smaller teams is not making our riders have to pay that. Uh, we, gosh, I want to say, so I think for mountain bike world championships, we either, we either are either able to reduce it or negate it. Um, and that is the hope this year. I got to see how things are playing out with the budget. Um, but that is definitely a big goal of ours. Do national team members have to pay that fee or is it waived for them? Uh, no, that's not waived for national team members. There's a certain level of fully funded, um, in the selection criteria. It's a very, very high level. Uh, but they would not have to pay that fee. I guess one of the questions that we heard, you know, we asked bulletin readers then, um, and I think people are going to want to know this is, you know, if there, if there is a rider, you know, there's some money that you guys are putting up, there's a fee associated with, um, you know, the service, like let's say they're there and they want to pay to be on the world's team. They meet some criteria. Uh, what's kind of stopping you from that and what's the philosophy behind kind of the change that we've seen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so one thing I do want to clarify with this fee, I think, like I said, it was $750. It might be a thousand. Uh, so maybe go read that before I'm quoted here. Um, but that is, that is sl- uh, a portion of, of supplemental. It costs about 3,500 to $4,000 per rider just to operate at this level for one weekend of racing. That's because of the number of staff we have to bring, uh, just the, the level of support that we provide for an event like this is so high because uh, for obvious reasons that fee is is a tiny supplement to it so i think unfortunately a lot of people read that and say well i'm paying my way anyway i have to buy my plane ticket which is true of almost any almost everyone as well and it'll be a, a bit more fundraising will have to happen before we can provide plane tickets but that 750 dollars covers a mechanic <laughs> no hotel no food no uh, so on yours, no vans, yada, yada. So just to clarify that. Out of the 16 athletes who were selected, were any of the choices, uh, discretionary? Yeah. So two of the junior men, uh, Ben Stokes and Miles Matern, uh, were discretionary selections. Um, and discretionary selection is always interesting in the past in cyclocross. And again, not to get too much into the history, but discretionary selection was used a lot, uh, in this, in the cross program at world championships to fill teams or maybe not even fill the roster, but, you know, add significant numbers of riders to the rosters. If, and our selection or sorry, discretionary selection principles have been kind of reformed over the last few years a few times as well it's it is a document that that is posted on their website in the selection criteria um but if you read that it's um it basically states how it's <laughs> it's as objectively as possible proving a subjective point or subjective argument um in the end Sports are not all just objective. It's this people, people's lives and experiences and performances, and as as much as results or times or can be pretty black and white. 
there's a lot about athlete performance and development that is, you know, as you can fully understand, not black and white. So to get back to the original question, um, if we look at Ben Stokes and Miles Mattern, who are the two discretionary selections on the whole team, they're both in junior men's category. Junior men were taking six. There were four automatic qualifiers. Um, AJ August won the Copenberg cross. That was his, his automatic qualifier or sorry. Um, his top 10 overall in the world cup was actually his automatic qualifier because the Copenberg was outside of the selection window, which starts after October. Um, David Thompson, the Pan Am champion that bill you mentioned, that's a UCI rule. It's a UCI selection. That's not something that we, um, put in our criteria, but we do have to honor it, of course. And then the two riders who qualified on points in the races that we, uh, listed in the criteria, that was Dan English and, um, Magnus White. So they all four automatically qualified their spots. And then you look at Miles Mattern and Ben Stokes. And in the US, those guys went back and forth with these other three, I'll say, because uh, AJ didn't really race much here at all in the UCI categories. But between Miles, Ben, Magnus, Dan, and David, nobody could pick who was going to be the first place rider on the day in any given race. Like those guys went back and forth all year you know, you throw a little stone in the middle and you hit all of them. They're so close. When you go over to Europe, there's a little bit of bad luck involved. Of course, we don't really make selections based on luck, but you look at the performance of, of Miles. He was mixing up with, with our, with the top guys who had already automatically qualified. He's a pretty easy discretionary selection. When you look at the, the, the discretionary criteria and you look at the trajectory and you look at the results and the head to head competitions and he's right there with those guys. So like, he didn't meet the qualify automatics because there were only a certain number of spots in those points domestically, but he was right at the level of those guys performance wise. Ben, very similar. Um, if you look at head to heads, he may have been like one or two behind miles, but again, his results podiums during in a lot of UCI races at the important races like Rochester, Pan Am's. Um, sorry, what else? Uh, North Carolina, and then of course nationals. He was he was right there. So, if we look back, I, I want to uh, concentrate just for a second on these these Pan Am automatic UCI qualifiers. If those racers, I think there were three of them, four of them. Well, you had Bruner, who's not who pulled out. Uh, Raylan, Lizzie. David and David and uh, Jack Springer. David and Jack, yeah. right? And Jack also moved himself. Uh, if they had not qualified by winning Pan Ams, would they have been selected for the team? Ooh. That's a tough question. Um, because they automatically qualified, I didn't really put a lot of quantitative work into looking at their results and and putting their results and performances up against the, the criteria. Okay. That's fair. And national champion is a automatic qualifier. Correct. Right. Correct. And that's, that's a change from the past. In the past, that was not in there. I think that's the last, what, like two or three years, maybe. Uh, I actually don't know beyond the last couple of years. I, as far as I remember, it's always been in since I started again and which would have been the criteria going into 2019, 2020. Yeah. Cause that was, that was always a thing where people were, 
you win your national championships, you should go. And then others were arguing, well, that's not international competition, but that's, yeah. that's, that's a, that's a, that's for, that's nothing that we need to, to <laughs> relitigate now because it's no longer, no longer a question. Well, I, I guess one of the, if I can, yeah. Bill, and I, I think that's actually a great point. Um, because that is, so in the elite category, that is the one outlier. So in, in the, in the junior category, we don't expect these riders to go race in Europe all the time and, and be able to get a lot of European results. So clearly we want to provide, um, some opportunity for our best junior racers who are racing domestically to qualify for the world championships. We think that's important. Um, as we go up toward the U23s and then especially the elites, uh, again, if you look at the alignment with the other disciplines, uh, that we have, that we oversee at USA cycling, um, it really is all about international competition. Uh, it's primarily like world cups. If you're looking at mountain bike, um, when it comes to national championships, that this can be debatable because it doesn't actually, show a level of international performance you could be our national champion and get a hundredth in the world cups if there were 100 riders um you know it's it really doesn't isn't indicative of that however in an individual sport like this where it's not road racing which has you know totally different parameters around why the how the team is selected um i believe it's important for at least the best rider in the country to to go to the world championships yeah, I, I I agree with that too. Uh, here's Jesse. Here's the mistake I think you've made. I think that the conversation that we're having now is really good, and it's the kind of thing that people want to hear. But I don't. They're not going to completely agree with what you're saying, but at least they hear it, and they they can at least hear the arguments and understand them. The thing that I see is that. You have the MUD Fund. You want to pull in the cyclocross community into supporting this team. You want everybody, you talk about that inclusiveness. Be part of the team. Join the MUD Fund. Help us support these athletes. Yet, when the press release comes out for the selection, there's nothing explaining any of this. There might be a link to the selection criteria. Great. You and I have argued over the selection criteria in the past, and it's tough to understand. So I think the mistake is not in the people you've selected, but just that the message isn't getting out there. And, and maybe, maybe we do this every year. Maybe we just plan it sooner and you can come on and talk about this. But I think this really is a lot of what's going on here is that the people who pay money for the, for the mud fund, the people who give money to the CX Hairs Bulletin that we hear from all the time are cyclocross nerds. It's a small community and a lot of them are nerds. So they want to know this nitty gritty. And I don't think any of it's a secret. It's just being able to get that message out. Bill, you're hundred percent right. And I, I, this is why I <laughs> agreed to have this conversation on a Monday evening. And I'm really glad that we are. Um, there's a lot I could say about this. Um, trying to, trying to think how to, how to keep it concise. Um, we we just this past week we had um our department summit meeting with uh the sports performance team so that's all the discipline directors like myself some of the national team coaches and of course jim miller our uh our chief our uh, fearless leader um one thing we discussed was around these selections and our transparency or lack thereof around them and just ex explanation of them because i think you hit the nail on the head that People being in the dark is what creates most of the, I'll say, contention 
around this selection or or uh, lack of understanding or, or complaints or whatever, whatever you might call it. Absolutely right. We do not do, we have not done a good job of saying, this is why, this is the our strategy around the event. This is our goals around the event. This is our strategy to achieve those goals. Um, this is the criteria we set in order to achieve the strategy, to achieve those goals. And we haven't broken it down like that for people. So one thing we talked about in these meetings was uh, the what we're going to try to move toward is every selection document for every protected event, uh, Olympics, World Championships, Pan Am Championships, et cetera, is going to have a strategy, uh, organizational strategy for USA Cycling listed at the top. So when someone says, hey, I'm going to, my goal this year is to make the world championship team. I'm going to go read the document at the top of the document. They're going to see the strategy for the event, our goals for the event and be like, okay. Um, now I know what the purpose that kind of gives purpose behind the team and, and behind that selection criteria and why we're choosing the team we, the way we are, why we set the selection criteria the way we do. So that's, um, one thing we're going to move toward, but yeah, having conversations like this, getting it out more publicly, speaking to the athletes. I, I tried to have these conversations with the athletes. I think maybe my efforts fell short with some of them because some of the feedback we got was just that they still didn't understand, you know, when the team was selected such a way in the past, why, why was the third best or fifth best or whatever athlete in which category not selected this year. So, Yeah. Before I let Zach get in here with uh, some questions, I just my, the last one I, I, I want to ask you because you talked about resources and the allocation of resources, and you know, not that that was necessarily a driving factor in this team, but it, it it's it's certainly important. Will there is there going to be more focus on possibly more racing in Europe? I guess that's that's kind of my question, and maybe earlier in the year. Yeah. So, so you did a great job of reading between the lines there, Bill, because that's exactly what what I meant when I talked about the allocation of resources. So, like I said uh, earlier, it was kind of a joke, but kind of not. Like, yeah, we could field the full team, but we wouldn't be able to do anything else. Um, when we look at the purpose of the World Championships and what we get out of it, what athletes get out of it, and then we look at other opportunities, for instance, this Christmas trip. Um, that Christmas trip costs almost the same slightly more per rider than a world championship but you think about the experience and the growth they get out of that doing uh five races in 12 days you know being in the house for for two weeks or three weeks with steven uh going on training sessions etc um we are definitely looking to put more resources behind true development opportunities where these riders can can really learn and grow the most in hopes that Someday we have this problem where we are selecting six out of nine capable riders for these world championships teams while keeping the same level that we have these criteria set at now. Yeah, no, that's good. And and then last, uh, just with doing that and because resources are always going to be an issue, what role in this does does other programs out there like uh, the – European Cyclocross Academy or other other programs that are heading over to Europe. What 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 role do they play going forward in this development process? They're playing a huge role. Um, you know, you see what what Jeff has done with the the Eurocross Academy and bringing over more athletes to get more, more athletes experience. I mean, think about Miles and Ben. Uh, they both we basically just didn't have room to bring them on our national team trip. They're both great athletes, but again, you just have to draw the line somewhere, and they were just behind that line. Um, 
they get to go over with Jeff. It's a huge opportunity for them. They proved that they are on the same level or close to it internationally as, as these other riders. They earned their world championship spots that way, or it helped, you know, kind of help prove their world championship um, selection. So, and then of course, beyond that, there's other athletes gaining this valuable experience um, that it just, yeah, it takes so many resources to make that happen and we can only take so many people. So when these other programs step up and start doing that, you really are exposing more athletes to this higher level of racing. You're fueling the stoke a lot more. And and I think the whole thing works better. Everybody grows because of it. Yeah. I'll just kind of, I think I was uh, Bill's second to last point there, I think was, you know, I was also able to read between the lines. I actually do like what you've done that you've put this focus on sending riders, especially the young riders for blocks instead of just worlds, right? Like they get to race multiple times, you know, they got to race during curse period. I think that's more valuable than the world championships. But, you know, I remember back when I was at Cyclocross Magazine, we looked at it as like a development opportunity. And so maybe, you know, kind of agreeing with Bill that I'm glad that you're communicating this now. Is that the philosophy that you've taken, that this is more of a reward versus, you know, a development opportunity that it was even like three or four years ago? Yeah, and, <clears throat> sorry, to be specific, you mean the world championships? Yes. Yeah, worlds. Yeah. Um, you know, I think even, even calling it a reward is something that we have to steer away from. I think what I see from or hear from a lot of the athletes is that they're trying to, to make the world's team. And it's like, that's a goal in and of itself. And that's where I think over his, historically, we've just done a disservice to the cyclocross community. I think, Bill, we talked about this a few years ago where we've, we've kind of created that. Um, I don't want it's not a stigma, but you know, like that, um, thought where it's like, yeah, just make the world's team. And then you've made your career or you've been, had a successful season because you got there. World championships is the highest level competition in the world for cyclocross. We don't have the Olympics, obviously. So this is it. We go there to perform. Our goal is to go there and win medals. Um, in some categories, we're pretty far off from that right now. We're going to keep working at that. We're going to get closer. Um, but we, I really want to change that, what that thought process is for people so that they, they, what these young riders come like coming in the sport and coming through the sport are thinking about is getting to that level where they're competitive at the world championships. And through that, they're becoming the best cyclocross racer they can be. They're learning a ton. They're growing. They're seeking professional contracts. Uh, they're engaging with the national team with coach Steven and, and, you know, honing their skills so much more like we want to see them develop as awesome athletes. And then when they're of that level, heck yeah, we want to take them to worlds and we want them to kick ass there. Um, but just getting to the world championships and calling that a, and I, I don't mean to insult anybody by this. I hope this doesn't take in the wrong way. Um, that's part of the conversation. I think we need to change a little bit. And then my, uh, the other question that I have is, uh, what, what do other federations do? Like, do you know, like what France does? What are the requirements for making the world's team from like a country like France that is okay, but not great at cyclocross? Yeah. I haven't looked at their, their criteria a lot, um, or at all, I should say, um, it would be interesting to review France. Yeah. Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Italy, you know, yeah, a, a, a range of countries. Um, when I look at the start list over the last few years, 
it's my understanding that the U.S. is almost always the largest delegation or very close with Germany, uh, sorry, Belgium and Netherlands. Um, Bill, do you actually have numbers on this? I don't, but I think I think that's, okay. yeah, we could we could even look for that and, and talk. I feel about like that, sure. that's something you would probably keep an eye on. Um, <laughs> I, it, to me, it's like I know how many we have, and I'm I'm busy managing them, so I don't always read all the numbers. But yeah, France. I, I feel like in the past, like even in Dubendorf, France had like 16, and I think we had 26 or 25. Uh, Germany, you know, 12. Uh, Czech Republic, 16. So we've always had a ton of riders. Um, and I think these other countries, they, they narrow down resources and say like, well, yeah, they're going to do, they're doing the same as what we're doing now. We're all just for high performance. And then there's development ap- opportunities to get these athletes to that high performance. I, I think you've really answered this question, but it's one, as Zach said, we, we have this Slack channel for the bulletin and we said, Hey, we're going to talk to Jesse. I know everybody has questions. What do you want to ask? And, and, and one of the ones I think we kept hearing over and over that, that you've touched on, but maybe just to, to hit home is something along the lines. And this is not my words. This is the questions that we're getting. What is the harm of sending a full contingent? I'd say the biggest downside, well, two, probably two big downsides. One is going to be resources that take away from our other development op- um, efforts. That's probably going to be the, uh, probably the biggest one. For a full team, um, the next, the other consideration is the um, the level of support for the riders who are performing at the World Championships. And when we're talking about winning medals, which is what we are really trying to go there to do, and again, we have some work to do, but that's we have to set these high goals in order to meet, you know. In order to, to meet them and work toward them, we have to say what we're trying to go do. Um, the le- level of <clears throat> focus and resources and support that it takes to accomplish that from all sides is massive. And so you think about Coach Steven or myself, uh, the group of mechanics, et cetera, you, this stuff is all scalable. But when it comes down to it, the athletes, like those resources are really valuable. And that focus at an event like this, in order to perform at that level, has to be super high and super dialed. So large teams, if you were around Fayetteville at all, like it was amazing how well that um, that event went for us. And, and we had, I actually don't even remember the number of staff, some 30-something, almost equal to the number of riders. Um, but that staff worked so hard to make it happen it was amazing um so it's kind of possible but really in order like the the resources and focus is is the biggest one of of everything that's going on at the world championships i think that's all you know you you had 30 minutes to give us gave us a little over that and i really appreciate it uh and 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 i really do find that there's a lot of value in having these conversations so thanks for taking the time especially day before you're heading over to Europe for that next uh, World Cup. And, and um, yeah, Jesse, uh, thanks. And we'll, we'll, we'll see you in a couple of weeks in uh, the Netherlands. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we will. Thanks, yeah, we'll see you in Hugerheide. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks, Bill and Zach. I appreciate taking the time. And um, certainly, if anyone does on the bulletin does have questions and wants to reach out to me personally, um, I'm always open to, to take an email. Um, please don't call or text me. I get enough of those. But <laughs> always happy to see an email. It might take me a little bit 
to respond to it at this point. But um, I'm, I'm happy to have these conversations one-on-one with people as well. But I'm, I'm really thankful for this opportunity. I think it's important. And, and you know, I would love to, to keep getting, um, yeah, just feedback and input from, from you guys and from this group on how we can communicate those things better. Because I, I, I understand, we, I think we do a pretty bad job of, of that communication piece. Um, and it's something I'd really like to improve on because I, I want us all to be on the same page. I don't want to have these questions come up every year. Every year when the World, World Championship team comes out, I want it to just be like, hurrah, let's go. Um, that's awesome. Those people all rock. We think they're going to kill it. Um, so yeah, thanks you guys. And can I just have like, I'd love for Zach to have the final work. Cause I feel like he was sitting there and, and Bill, you asked like maybe two or three, ah, oh, this is the last question I'll ask, but, uh, sorry, Bill. No, it's fine. This has been Bill's, Bill, this has been Bill's thing for years. I always deferred to him. Uh, I was just knew that he would do a good job. And I think that he's had these conversations and, you know, he knows the questions to ask. So. Um, okay. I just appreciate it. I mean, I my last bit was I think USAC could always just benefit from more transparency. I think, you know, there's obviously people who are like USAC haters. And for those of us who see USAC in action, we're like, y'all are people and you're doing a lot of work that for the good of the sport. And it's like, I think that a lot of times it's just like, man, if you would just communicate a little bit better, if you'd just be more transparent with what's going on, I think people would really appreciate that. So. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. I think you're you're spot on. <clears throat> Something that I think I and we recognize. Um, yeah, let's let's hope we can we can move on that because I, I would love for for that to happen. Jesse, thanks for uh, taking the time. Cool. Yeah, thanks you guys. All right, we uh, we signed off with Jesse. We are back. Back. We are back. We are back. <laughs> You know, a lot of times when you hear these podcasts that have like an interview and then they'll have kind of like the panel discussion afterwards, it's like done at a different time. But no, we just, we said goodbye to Jesse like two minutes ago and and now it's just, now it's just Zach and me. Uh, we should say that, uh, Michael is, um, is, uh, what are we calling this work away, away, uh, on a work assignment. At his real job? I mean, such is the life, right, of being <laughs> yeah. uh, an independent media source. I was making this this point in the most recent, you know, media pit that like, or media pit, nowhere fast, that like, we all have jobs. We're, you know, we are a network of the people because we're all like you. We go to work, you know, we're the ones who are like checking memes on our phone on Instagram uh, in the middle of the workday and stuff. We're like you. Uh, but in this case, we lost Bodie uh, to his his real job. Yeah. For me personally, Zach, and I know we've had this conversation, but it's always it's for me. This is second job. I think it is for you too. You're right. You're right. It has become more. You're right. For me, it has. That's a good point. I forgot about that. Yeah, we don't. We don't want to devalue the work that 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 you do and that I do. That this is like, it's not real job versus non real job. It's just it's just second more fun job that sometimes feels like it's not real, and then sometimes when you're grinding out an article at three in the morning, it feels like it's really real. Yeah, but it's still more fun. It's way more fun than like grinding out like a hydrologic model. Hopefully, hopefully my boss doesn't listen to this, but you know, it's always going to be more fun to do that. And, uh, you know, you get more feedback from it too. You know, my line of work, you, you send a report to public agency and you hear back in like six months. So there's just not that instant gratification, but you are right. You are right. So we, we had, uh, what are we calling this is like 
Junior Nationals weekend, uh, second Nationals week. I mean, the real Nationals weekends already happened in you know a month ago in North America with Canada and 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 the U.S. And now the now the rest of the world is uh, taking taking. I guess just you know, Australia, New Zealand. I guess they do it too. So Europe, Europe. We had European national championships. Tons of them. So many. So many. I, I mean, I I don't like. I was I I, I was uh, just kind of like obsessed earlier with Carolyn Bohe, who's won like the last six Danish elite women's national championships and doesn't race cyclocross. Those are the like she she is truly the Chris Carter of cyclocross. All she does is win national championships and then she goes races her her mountain bike. So it's always th- those are like the fun stories that I think we've been kind of picking out and uh if you're a bulletin subscriber on the Slack channel, we got a whole I know Jan started but everybody have been chiming in with stories like that of just sort of the the oddball stories in these these national championships in these kind of lesser cyclocross nations, but we probably want to talk about the big ones. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I think one of my favorites uh, from my days at cyclocross magazine regarding this is, you know, we would cover Dutch nationals and Belgian nationals. And then like, but I was like, Hey, I'm going to just be inclusive and we're going to do a roundup. So like I get to it on like a Thursday and someone in the comments is like, you're just getting to this now. God, this publication is awful. And I was like, there's literally like 74 countries that I had to go through and write a little blurb about. And like, you're you're dragging me because I didn't get to like Latvian nationals till Thursday. So I, I don't know. I was just, that was one of my favorite comments. Again, never read the comments, but I remember that one. And I was just like, come on, man. Like, cut me some slack. I like that the, the Greece, the Greek national championships, they're the best ones because they haven't had them yet. They're scheduled... For January 29th, like a, like a couple days before Worlds. I mean, are they going to like send their national champions to Worlds? I doubt it, <laughs> if we're being honest. <laughs> I doubt that's happening. Uh, should we start with the Dutch one? Because that was the easiest one to watch, at least on, on replay. Uh, the course, strong, strong Louisville. 2018 vibes i mean just so much running sections of the course with like massive puddles there were the waves coming up from the from the river so lots of lots of rain it seemed like was it the sea i i don't i just i wanted to tweet that if they weren't able to hold the national championships in the netherlands they could always move them to louisville and i felt like that was really low hanging fruit, and somebody would have it covered for me. I look back, and it was it was definitely definitely on. It was in the zeitgeist. Yeah, so it was a river with a lot of rain, and I think you know there was. We saw some videos and some images from the Belgian one, and I thought that one was going to be a lot muddier, but um, the Dutch one definitely. I what I was impressed. I mean, if you were at Louisville, you remember that there was so much of the course where spectators were that it was just so trampled. That I remember by by Sunday, I literally watched every race inside because I was so sick of trudging around the mud. But I loved that, you know, they just came in. This is a whiz bang one off. It was so pristine. You know, there were I saw dogs along the course and everyone's just standing on the top of the hill, not too getting too close to the course. So if you're gonna have a bog race, that's the way to do it. Yeah, nobody was in there like doing mudslides like we had at Louisville Worlds. But part of it even reminded me of Louisville Nationals where the course kept 
kept moving to dry ground. Like every race, it would just be, you know, moved over, moved over, moved over. Yeah, that, that's what I was talking about, Louisville 2018. Um, okay, but yeah, sure. you're right. It was like that during the uh, the great flood of the Louisville worlds. I mean, at one point, too, there was the barriers, the 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 metal fencing that was in the river. So, yeah, like, who knows? It maybe had this been delayed by one more day, it would have turned into, like, a, a Louisville world situation. So getting to the nitty gritty, let me start with this question for you, Zach. What's wrong with Fem Van Empel? Ooh, I you 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 alluded to that in the uh, in the chat. I'm, I you know it's it's interesting. I mean, I I made the point. You know, I told Bodhi that it's really all about all about vibes going into worlds, and like we've you know we've had the 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 version of vibes that's like oh what's cool and stuff. But you know, I I think in a lot of cases for like the vibe check that we did was like who's racing well? What are the stories of people who are generally racing well? And it's you know, it's uh, a season is like, it's not, it's like a narrative. It's like not just a one-off. It's not one chapter. It's a multi-chapter thing. And, you know, she started off really well and had that crash. And, um, you know, right now at the time where you want to be at your peak, like she's almost going like full ease beat. <laughs> I mean, if we're being honest, um, and she's really struggling and not really racing at the top of her game. And I think I look at, you look at that course and you look at her running ability and you would have said, oh, this is a course where she'd do well. Basically, they were off the bike for like half the lap, it felt like, uh, at times. Um, but I, I'm guessing that some that she's not well from that crash. Maybe Ball was a little bit of a red herring and that she just is not fully recovered from how hard she went down. Yeah, I think that's that's probably right. I don't mean to make light of it. It's more... It was kind of in a sarcastic light that she's still like one of the best in the world, and I, I, I hope that she she gets back up there and uh, is is able to compete. But you know, I, I mean, we've been saying it now with ever since that crash, we've been looking at either the as Bodie likes to hedge best cyclocross racer that's a woman versus best cyclocross worst racer in the world, and you know, Puck made the made the decision a couple weeks ago or even last week that she's racing worlds at the elite level um i don't know we don't know if she'd always plan on racing the elite level at nationals i think one goes hand in hand with the other if you do one you're kind of doing the other so she raced you know national elites and uh was dominant in this race you know i mean alvarado awesome race by her she was there with her but i think that you know save a mistake nobody really thought that puck wasn't going to take this one yeah i mean i i don't want to engage we've we've called ourselves out for creeping statement ism um but you know this is the time of the year for these riders you know i mean it's a chess mass between the three of them right it's it's at this point we're like you're trying to be like hey guess what i'm feeling really good um but just looking at at puck i come back to again i think there's just so much value in losing and you know she kind of got her butt kicked by femme for a good chunk of the early part of the season and when you're getting your butt kicked like you don't focus on your strengths you focus on your weaknesses and then you focus on you know um steven hyde always says this focus on where you can use your strengths and i just saw her like control this race from start to finish like she was just like i'm in control oh you want to come with this move that's fine you, you could do that once um you know and then she just turned it on and she knew that she was getting further up that little hill up onto the the dike or whatever and you know she was carrying an advantage in that she made a great pass like she took a wide outside line she was like i'm gonna take control of this race right now and she did and i i just 
she was so aggressive and it just seems like she's learning about herself, but also learning how she needs to take advantage of her, her strengths against these, you know, these two other women, because they've been kicking her butt a lot. The one name that is not in this top three, I want to ask you about this. You know, I was thinking about, uh, Daniel Jones, you know, the, the Giants quarterback, sat out last week. You know, they were like, we got our playoff spot. We're set. It, we're, not, we're not playing our starter. And then he comes in this week and just has a phenomenal game. And Giants beat the Vikings. And you're moving on in the playoffs. Shereen Van Anroy just skipping Dutch Nationals to go do a training camp. I mean, this is, this is kind of a sit in your starters, but doing it at Nationals is kind of a, that's a bold move. Yeah, well, and she, I believe she said that she's going to look at the World Cup in uh, Spain, the Spain World Cup coming up, and she's going to make her decision of whether or not she's racing Elite Worlds. So, uh, you know what? I think it's good. We saw with Sana Khan, she was like, hey, <laughs> I benefited a lot from not racing. And so, you know, she has her plan. I think, you know, as we covered, there were questions of, is she the best cyclocross racer in the world the last few weeks, at least in the sand? Yeah, she's earned the right to to make that decision. And I think, I mean, I think everyone in the cyclocross world at this point is hoping that she has a great race at Benidorm. And she's like, you know what? I'm doing it. We're doing the thing. Elite Worlds. We're recreating the U23 Worlds race from Fayetteville. We're doing it in the elite race at Hoover Haida. And I mean, that's really what I hope. I hope happens, you know, and we'll see. We'll see if it's the right decision. Yeah. I'm guessing it will be. And seeing Alvarado continuing just that tantalizing you know it's just that uh, she's she's always right there will she make that step in the next couple of weeks and be a uh, be be fighting for that world as well just uh yeah really looking forward for the uh dutch nationals part two and uh yes Hoverheim. yes at the world championships but in, yeah. in the netherlands so it all works right. it's all good this year we'll move over to that men's race oh man what what a banger that was a that was a great race uh we had I'm curious. I mean, I guess it's a, it's a Shimano thing, right? I'm guessing he has SPDs. And so, of course, we're talking about Joris uh, Neuenhus. Uh, had a little bit of an issue with a loose cleat at the end of the race in his uh, drag-out banger against Lars Vanderhaar. So, thanks, Shimano. I'm also assuming Riverall is on Shimano. Um, but, yeah, man, what a – did you watch that? What a great – what a great race. I mean, the two of them were together – just throwing punches at each other left and right. But Bill, I, I'm i just so – I'm loving the Lars Vanderhaar runs past a guy in a bike move. I I, I feel like I've seen that. We've seen it two, twice in two weeks now. It's amazing. It's an incredible move. I, look, if you have that in your toolkit and you know that you're faster that way, you know, maybe it's maybe it's something we always talk about like – or Pitcock talks about how he can't keep up with the power of these guys. I don't know if Lars, I think Lars may be more power than Pitcock. I don't know, but maybe that's something that, that Pitcock, you know, with his four minute mile time should, should employ as well. Sort of take some lessons from Lars. Yeah. And this, it wasn't the decisive move really because he botched his remount, but it was still hilarious to see that one uh, back again. But man, he went, he went all in. I, you could just see that it, you know, and Yoris, to his credit, really showed up and raced really well. But man, Lars was just like, you could tell he was all in. He was sprinting. He fell on the last stairs. <laughs> and when he got to the to the finish, right, he just kind of looks back. He's like, I'm not even going to sprint. I'm I'm literally just I, I'm just going to get across this line. And I'm not worried. You know, that's that experience. But man, it, it was cool to see Lars 
that that meant that much to him that he literally emptied like he did not have another 10 seconds of bike racing left in him at the end of that race yeah and you alluded to it yoris comes up with a the loose cleat and you know kind of ended his rate or at least his attempt to win the race what what's your thoughts you you know was that the determining factor for him do you think he is able to fight back and make it uh battle it out in a sprint uh i don't know i mean lars got past him i mean he got a gap on him um i i can't tell it's like how loose was it and uh but yeah i mean anyone who's ever written with a a loose cleat i'm sure that it's it's quite it's frustrating and it's hard. So, I mean, maybe, but at the same time, I thought Lars played the last lap really well. And who knows how that would have played out, you know, head to head with Yoris. I mean, he just has crazy amounts of experience and uh, doing these kinds of things and knew exactly what he needed to do to win the race. But you know what? Uh, I would love, I mean, I think we would all be super happy if Yoris takes this as a huge confidence boost and gets a little chip on his shoulder and comes back looking to knock Lars off next year. So I think. Really, the only solution here is one to race well at Worlds, and then two beat him next year. Yeah, for sure. I, I, the other race, I think, from the Netherlands, worth pointing out because we didn't we didn't put enough credit on her name weeks back. The uh, uh, Puck's um, pre ride partner, Lauren Mullengraff, kind of showing she is the junior women's junior to beat, winning the Dutch national championship by almost. Four minutes, you know. Talk talk about somebody racing down in in her category at this point. So that's uh that's that's matching up. You know, we 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 touted the the Canadian powers for the that junior field. So I think it's going to be that's that's just shaping up to be to be a really fun race. But she just uh, she crushed it. Yeah, I mean, I guess since we're mentioning time gaps, we did have we talked about it in the the green room. The saddest hero cam of all time. I, it's to me, it's just remarkable how I, I talk a lot about how cyclocross cycling sport life is about moments. And like that was the moment for Lucinda Brand to win her second world championship and Mariana Voss to set the record. And if it didn't happen, everything's changed. You know, I mean, look at the time gaps down to Brand. She was like, what, three minutes down or something like that. And Voss was just a complete non factor. I mean, at one point, they panned to her and she literally just stopped running and like that's that's like when you're a cat three and you're, you know like it's that hard that's how that hard it was and so it's just a tough moment to see but just also a remembrance of like how quickly the sport can change right like we had written fem van ample was for sure gonna win worlds like book it take it to the bank and now we don't know we don't know um, who's going to win worlds. So, you know, so much can change, uh, in sport and just kind of interesting to me that this was just kind of like an example of that with respect to like what happened in Fayetteville. So that, that, that raises the question is, uh, Femme Van Empel now the fastest racer from, I can't even say it. I'm not even going to try the apostrophe S town that Mariana Voss and she are both from. Yeah, we'll see. Kirkenbosch. I mean, Voss still has those road shops. We'll see what happens on the road with Yumbo. Yeah. Um, you kind of uh, uh, mentioned it briefly. Uh, Sonic Hunt just, uh, well, I don't know if we mentioned it, but I guess it came to mind because it's here's somebody who is going to race nationals and has decided she's not racing worlds. Like, nationals was kind of the goal for the season and goes out and does it again. 
I mean, you know, I guess your priorities change as an athlete as you get older and there's still that. I mean, I, there's no question that she wants to get 16 uh, because, you know, Katie Compton got 15 and I think she's an adult and can recognize that she's not at the level that she used to be. So sure, might as well do it. I mean, it's a sea change. She's still racing on the road. I think you, you guys were joking that she's a road racer now who also does some cyclocross, but yeah, I mean, the writing's been on the wall, but it gives her a reason to kind of hang on. And it's a thing. Like, might as well keep adding them on because eventually there's going to be a really good Belgian woman some year who's going to start winning a bunch of titles. And if you stopped at 14 instead of 16, you might lose your record. So, yeah, I don't know. Might as well just keep racking them up while you can. She needs to do it before Floor Moors gets to the elite level, which who knows, you know, for this race, does she petition next year to move up she you know won her junior national championship um belgium doesn't have a women's u23 race so i guess uh once she's out of those juniors she'll be she'll be in the elites so there's there's someone to watch for for sane what was uh christine majerus oh god how many did she like 14 maybe it was a lot yeah yeah, I don't so. know. I, I counted one time, and then I, I I don't. I haven't counted recently. I feel like she's the other one who's up there, like with a ton of championships, just racking them up. But like, I mean, she's kind of passed the baton now to Marie Schreiber. So right. another young uh, Luxem. What did I say, Luxembourgish? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Norbert Riberol coming in second place, and. Disappointed. I didn't. I didn't see what happened in there. Do you know if uh, she had mechanicals or something? Uh, she issues? said that she had. I guess it was weird. She said she was having chain issues in pre-ride, and they didn't fix it. And then she had like two or three chain drops in the first lap. So she was pretty, obviously, pretty upset that like she never really got a shot to because of the. Um, I found a recording of it, and it was two minutes into the race, and Sana was already solo off the front. So set her back pretty quickly and she had to, to fight back for, for second place. But, you know, I mean, she followed it up with the, um, the win at the weirdest race, this race that we're still struggling to figure out why it, Odaham, Odaham, why it yeah. exists. Yeah. Odaham. Like the show off the new national championship kits, but like it's, it is a, it, it is truly a post post tour Kermes is what Odaham is. It's like, show up, have a party. I, I was saying that I, I'm almost certain this may be, I, I was at the, at it in 2020. Then this was right after Lawrence Sweck won his, uh, national championship. And I'm pretty sure he was swigging champagne in the starting grid before the race. Great. I love it. Which, of course, is the difference, like the difference this year. He's in there, you know, out, out to win it. So that, what, a, what a couple uh, difference a couple of years. It's the uh, single made. speed race. Yeah. It's the donut race of, of Belgian cyclocross. But to, to say that he was, you know, racing with a chip on his shoulder, we should now have our record scratch and have Lauren say, you may be asking how I ended up here. So let's talk about how he ended up there. I, I mean, we've wanted beef. I, we have. Here, here's the thing. Let's even start there. Beef. So we, we've been like talking about the sauces. We've, you know, you started this free sweck movement last season, which, you know, gained legs and actually came to fruition. And he is now on a different team. And, and we would sit there and try to 
create these stories and these narratives about how, you know, the, the team just supports Ailey and that Lawrence is pissed off and, you know, he's getting yelled at by Jurgen on the sideline and all of this kind of stuff. We don't know what's really going on and they're not talking about it. But now we see maybe, maybe there was a little, uh, discontent in the in the sauces last year that's finally kind of coming out into the open well a little bit i mean i think right isn't like the big issue here the i mean you've identified that the sauces their mechanics are uh getting right there's there's rubbing is racing we love rubbing is racing right that's one of the awesome things about cyclocross is that it's a bike racing discipline where there is physical contact like that's awesome that makes it so much more fun but this is delved from like you know, um, like lockdown defender to, to Grayson Allen type stuff. You know, we're getting into like stuff that's just not cool. Like we need to fix that. There's a difference between the rub and his racing versus like, I don't know, like his what his bike in the pit got tangled in Mikey V's bike like maybe two or three laps to go. I didn't, I didn't see the whole race. So I only yeah. saw a clip of what happened. Yeah. It's the same boat here, but I think that, you know, you look back and you're like, well, if, if, if we're in court here, we can't take, you know, past discretions and apply them to the most recent, uh, incident, but it's the same guys who dropped the towel that got stuck in Wout's wheel. Now, all of a sudden can't get out of the way of the guy who's battling their guy, for the national championship. Well, today I think it was even worse. I'm pretty sure their guy just kind of grabbed his rear wheel or something. And he did a full pirouette. Like it continued did that happen, today. Or, or did he just do the pirouette in front of them to be like, uh, sort of like a, like a, an you to those guys. It's like, ah, this is, oh, this is again. This I, is like, I saw I, contacts with okay. the rear. I saw something going. I saw some, some hijinks and some stuff going on. Okay. But I could be right. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. You know, yeah. and, and I, I was struggling to get the translate to work. I was trying to read the stories about, about this and it was, it's weird. It's like this stuff happens at the two races that we don't have the brilliant GCN coverage for. It was like, no, <laughs> The races where we need to see where we need to break this down and go into it. We don't have uh, the great GCN coverage. But but just to, to get back to the, the race itself, this is Mikey V, our European champion who took the win, you know, was was battling. It really was him and Lawrence. They they were the only ones in this race, really. Uh, T-Bone Ness ended up third at a minute 42 down. So it was really those two battling each other out. It was, it just looked like this old school Nesvi Albert, whatever your Powell's or whoever, you know, it kind of looked like that generation, just sloppy course, muddy. These guys just grinding through it. And I don't know. I don't know if that pit exchange, much like the shoe for the Dutch, you know, and yours, does the pit exchange really matter? But on this side, we know Sweat can come from behind. We know that he can sprint, so who knows? But yeah, definitely a, a really good battle. It came down to that last lap, but uh, Michael Van Tornout able to able to pull it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I you say that we don't know the inner workings, but it's been remarkable that number two and number three of the sauces are now having the best years of their career as elite like cyclocross racers uh I, I there's a lot of evidence that suggests that whatever was that mikey v was so you're basically for 
both of them, if you remove Ailey from the equation, it kind of released both of those guys. I, I mean, Mikey V is having a career year. Like, he's just been on fire. He's won. I mean, he has a non-zero shot at winning all three jerseys, being that guy who wins the European Championship, the Belgian Championship, and the World Championship. I think something's going on. I mean, it just seems like not racing in Ailey's shadow, you know, Ailey being off this year and being injured has really allowed Mikey V... Uh, to flourish. And so I guess maybe we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, if Ailey comes back next year, right? Like this be a situation. I'm just going to throw one out the Patriots, right? They had Drew Bledsoe and he got hurt and they put in Tom Brady and Tom Brady went on to become the greatest NFL quarterback of all time. You know, will Mikey V in these next couple of years, will he become the leader of the sauces now that he's been able to, to step into this leading role this year? The crazy thing about it, though, is that, and it's the thing that we always forget, is Ezerbeet's four years younger than those guys. Now, that's a good point. He has 29. Mikey V is 29 now. So. Yeah, he's racing age 30, as well as Sweck, and then Ezerbeet's 26. But I, I, I'm, that's not to, that's not that's not to torpedo your argument. It's just it's always just crazy that that he's he's so young, but also he's been doing it at this level for so many years, and he's always kind of. Um, He's not durable, right? And and then that's kind of the, the the knock on him when we get later into the season. You know, it's almost like you'd almost want Ezerbeet to to do a wow, you know, do that season. I I don't know. I mean, he's he's not a road racer, so he can't financially do that and then just start in the middle of the year and come in fresh. But at the same time, he's had a hard time making it to the end of the year. Yes, I I agree, and I, I just want to say too that I think. You know, again, I think Mikey V has been in the shadow for so long, and it's been awesome to see him really have his moment. And I just watching him in that last lap, it was a really super technical course. Like there was this crazy section in the woods that was very reminiscent of Hama, um, but even more technical. And he just he was opening up gaps on Swag. And I was like, I really appreciate that this this man is really an excellent bike handler. Because I think you look at him, you're like, ah, he must be good at climbing or whatever. You know, he's tall and skinny, but He's actually really technically gifted, and to me, he showed that in the uh, the last lap that I was able able to watch. He's also someone I need to find this clip. It's when it's when all the it was post worlds. I think he was probably U twenty three, like young U twenty three, and just you know tall, gangly kid, muddy race, and he just like sprinted by the whole field, like in some mud field, just like the running skill on him just from a young age that I think has has carried through is something especially in these races that that does does him so well before we leave it I do have to say that the um the beef has been elevated because uh, Bodie did share with us a tweet from the sauce boss and he was making a comparison between his uh, mechanics little dirty move and when Sweck swecked Van Turen out at the barriers at Dehem. And I was just like, oh, this is, I, I, I kind of understand. I don't think these are co- comparable. So I was like, I'm going to go to translate in the Twitter, Twitter comments. Uh, I translate them and, oh man, the sauce boss was getting dragged. Like, uh, I mean, maybe it was all swag supporters because there were some all caps, like, you guys are dirty. Someone called them the ketchups, which was hilarious. But a lot of people were like, the idea that these two uh, incidents, are comparable is a joke and you're just digging yourself deeper. So if you want to go search that out, it was a good read of, of translating. Yeah, what, what did his, his tweet translate? Like we didn't make a big deal of it. It was, it was basically like cry more type type stuff going on, you know, but it's, yeah, it's, it's comparing a racing incident versus like sloppy negligence in the, in the pit. So 
Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff moving forward. That's going to, you know, especially since those two guys are racing it out for the World Cup. You know, not even talking about the World Championships, which Wout will probably win, but they have they have a lot, a lot on stake and head-to-head against each other. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I think that the it's the perfect setup that those two are still going head to head in the world cup. And like, they're both riders that I know us as American fans, like we have an emotional connect. We, we like both riders. And I think that, you know, there's arguments be, to be made for both of them. So I think it's great that while Wout was winning all the things, um, that Swack and Mikey V were battling it out for the world cup and we could watch that. And they had some great races in the recent races in that race for third, um, that had implications for the world cup. So I, as like a, a narrative for the new reality that we live in for cyclocross, I think it's the best one that you could have. Yeah, for sure. I think the, the race that people are saying is one to go hunt out, uh, hopefully it'll be up on YouTube. If it's not already is the French men's race, uh, Clement Venturini coming away with that win, but evidently that was a, that was a super good race. It looks like the, it looks like the women's elite. I mean, same time with, uh, the finish there with Helene Clausel, I'm assuming out sprinting, uh, Lene Burkir. So, Good battles there as well. Cameron Mason winning the British National Championship. Um, anything else uh, worth mentioning here as we go through? Oh, Timon Timon Rouge taking the uh, taking the Swiss National Championship over Lars Forster, of course, and uh, Kevin Kuhn coming in third. Well, I would uh, I would be. I mean, I'm already at war. Uh, with the powers that be in Chicago cyclocross for my anti uh, pinwheel crusade. But I would be probably not allowed to continue living in my city if we didn't point out that Maria Larkin, Irish national champion, I believe it's her third one. So she uh, she just keeps winning those Irish national championships. So congrats to Maria. I know everyone in Chicago was what? really excited for her. Didn't she have like early mechanical, like almost catastrophic mechanical and had a fight back in that race? I saw images of it. So I'm going to say yes. I, I, didn't, I didn't get up to watch. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Maria. Congratulations, Kelly Klein on inventing the pinwheel. Uh, he was he was he was noting that uh, his pinwheel that he created decades ago in the in the U.S. was more like he called it a what do you call it some sort of wave. It's almost like this, but that wasn't a pinwheel. I saw it's the like, image. It's like That's a, a yin yang type yeah. type type I'm thing. I'm fine going with there. that. It's just that it it there's nothing wrong with that. You come, you go. The <laughs> pinwheel, you just keep coming. Yeah, you just keep coming. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Now you're going. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Just keep, keep, keep going. <laughs> we need 45 seconds more on this lap. What can we do? I got it. We'll just have them go around in circles a lot. I mean, at least do what they do at Neil, where you go all the way down to a sand pit that they truck in, and then you come all the way back. Like, add, add time that way. Put it in a big sand pit. I don't know. <laughs> on that note, should we close things down here? I know we did. You know, it was great to have this conversation with Jesse, and that kind of took up most of our time. We were we were never going to do uh, national championships justice, and uh, but yeah, I think we got the got the main points out there. Yeah, I'm excited. We got uh, two more weekends of World Cups. I feel sorry for the Belgian race on Saturday. Who knows who's going to be at that one? But uh, it is coming, Bill. My favorite, my favorite time of year. Let's overanalyze and draw a broad sweeping conclusion. What it knows, 
Let's overanalyze. It's going to be best and sewn this year. Let's overanalyze the result from best and sewn. I'm so excited. It is a bulletin tradition. And I'm just beyond excited that we're coming up on this this great tradition soon. There is so much to overanalyze, too. It's going to be amazing. All right. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast, and we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours the Grodio Podcast.